Welcome to the clean truth, where we like to call bullshit on the status quo. What is up? Welcome back to the clean truth. I'm Don. I'm your host, Silver Fox. Yes, sir. We got a pretty good show today, man. I'm freaking pumped up. We have Robbie Kroger from Blood Origins. Say hi, Robbie. Hi, Robbie. <laughs> Rob- Love it. Yeah. It's going to be good. I, I set that one up. <laughs> yeah. Me. Teed it up for you. Yeah. Robbie, every every week, man, when we do these, we kind of go through a little intro intro deal. We always thank Rain Energy. Um, Brett Bauer at Rain always keeps us pretty hydrated here with energy drinks. So I always like to give a pretty cool shout out to her. She takes really, really good care of us. And well, then, tell them to send some this way. I like Rain. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I'll tell you why I like Rain. <clears throat> a lot of people in this country, the new flavor that they just came out with called the the lychee. I think you guys call them. You call it lychee. Got one in there. Which one is it? Yeah, we got the orange. It's the orange one right there. Yeah. So oh, in yeah, South yeah. Africa. So in South Africa, let me let me give you a little bit of an education. Yeah, knowledge knowledge bomb on us. I think this entire podcast is going to be a bit of a knowledge bomb. But anyway, I'm ready. So in South Africa, when you go to the the, the supermarket, you buy fruit called lychees, and a lychee fruit is this. It's a brown fruit. It's got all sorts of prickles on the outside. And when you open it up, it's got this sweet white flesh, and it's got a big brown pip in the middle. That is the flavor of my youth. Like lychees are the thing for me. So when I saw that they had come out with this lychee flavor, I was like, "Oh man, got to have some of that." Yeah, they're good, man. They, I can't drink a whole one. They really jack me up. So Scott and I'll usually go halvesies on one, and then we'll dilute it a little bit. But I like them a little bit better than the bangs. The bangs are just. I don't know. They're good, but they're just. I like the range better. I don't know. Now we we will always think of Robbie when we see the the lychee flavor. I yeah, like for it. sure. Say it lychee. Say it properly, because the majority lychee. 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 The uh, weekly ball busting session. We usually bust somebody's balls in here. I got to go after Ben's shirt, man. What this shirt looks like? He's so we. We'll quickly find out where Robbie lives and where he resides and calls home. But I have a Ole Miss polo shirt on today, a little hotty toddy from my Mississippi boy here on the. Uh, That's why you on the podcast, today, wasn't it? correct? See, very had, nice. Had worked out very well. nice. That worked out. Had to well. do I appreciate it. that. I didn't. I you should have introduced yourself as the Silver Fox this weekend. That would have been a lot better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the internal corporate name for sure. <laughs> we need to make that mainstream. Switch the switch the handle. You need a shirt that says Silver Fox. That'd be cool. All right. The topic of today is blood origins. And I'm going to let, Robbie, I'm going to let you explain this because you did it so fantastic to me and Ben. And I kind of knew what it was going into Winter Strong, um, but I didn't realize exactly what it was until meeting you over the weekend at Winter Strong and then hearing you talk about it to the group and I just wanted to share it on the podcast because I think what you guys do is fucking fantastic. I think it's phenomenal. It kind of hit home for me a little bit um, just for reasons that I'll talk about later um, that aren't really that important. But in in hearing what you guys do, it kind of just kind of hit home for me a little bit. So introduce Blood Origins and just kind of take it, take run with it, man. Sure. You know, I'll use you as 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 an intro in what you just said is really why we do what we do at Blood Origins. When you said my story on how it connects to me doesn't really matter. 
I would argue that it, it matters the most because what you are about to tell us is what all hunters and our, and our typical hunting community has shied away from for so long. Our hunting community is in a place today because of 35 years of focusing on this thing called the kill. And hunting inherently kills things. Okay. It's almost like a, an antithesis statement. It's, we know we kill things. So why do we have to overemphasize the fact that we kill things? For the vast majority of us, we hunt for so many different reasons. And it's that it's the heart of why we hunt, the why behind why we hunt, the truth of what hunting does for people, what hunting does mentally, spiritually, physically for people, what hunting does for communities around the world from Pakistan to Zambia to Mozambique to Argentina to New Zealand to our backyards here in the US to what it does for wildlife conservation all over the planet. We'll talk about multiple examples here in the US, New Zealand, Mozambique, Namibia, Spain, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, or not Uzbekistan, they don't hunt there, Kazakhstan. It's all because of hunting. And unfortunately, the perception that hunting and hunters have is unfortunately a product of ourselves and our industry. And Blood Origins has set a, a path forward to change perceptions. And so really what Blood Origins is, is a proactive PR campaign that has a mission statement that is to convey the truth around hunting. Simple as that. I love it. I was locked in there, man. You caught me off guard, um, which I think is great. I mean, it fits the tagline of this of this podcast. And I've, I've said it before, you know, we use the slogan that we like to call bullshit on the status quo. And we don't always do that on the show. There's a lot of episodes where we don't go out of our way to do this. But I think this specific one is is perfect. And um, yeah, I just I think it hits the nail right on the head. So what exactly inspired you to start this? Where did it come from? How did it get started? So I come from, and a lot of people's stories are going to resonate with what I'm about to say. And, and the story behind why someone hunts is, is incredibly powerful. I hunt because it's part of who I am. I think a lot of people hunt because it was passed down to them through traditions and heritage. It could have happened to me. Unfortunately, it didn't. My grandfather as he explained to me, hunted the two greatest paradises, hunting paradises that this world had to offer. In the 20s and 30s, he hunted pheasants in Tibet. He hunted the Chinese northern Mongolia steppe. He hunted Siberia. And then in the 50s, he immigrated to Africa and lived the heyday of Africa, the Africa that everyone speaks about, learns about, reads about, the the Hemingway Africa, my grandfather lived it, and my father was a camp boy in those times. And so, you know, they, they did it all. My grandfather hunted elephants and lions and leopards. He actually never hunted lions. I'll take that back because his, his name was Leo. And my oldest boy is named Leo. So he always said he would never kill his namesake. Um, and so I have, a, I have hunting buried in my blood. It's part of my family. I never got to do it. Um, and so when I came to the States in 2003 to do a PhD at Ole Miss, Howdy, 
Hardy Toddy. <laughs> I uh, I started learning how to hunt, and I was taught how to hunt like a classic Mississippi country redneck would. I was given a lawn chair stuck under a cedar tree with a gun and said, if something comes by, shoot it. Where was and that in Mississippi? Was, where was that? Yeah, was that down south? Oh, it was in Oxford, Oxford. Just outside Oxford. Six miles outside Oxford, Mississippi. Nice. Um, and it, I had to rapidly evolve my thought pattern, my thought process of how I needed to become a hunter because I wasn't eight years old. I was 26 years old. And soon I got married. Soon I had two young boys on my hands. And I was like, whoa, you know, and I had in that interim become an American citizen. And to me, this understanding of what I had, the privilege of walking on ground that belongs to me, belongs to you, Don, belongs to you, Ben, that with a, with a loaded gun that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world and have the freedoms to hunt things that I, I, um, I had the opportunity to hunt wasn't lost on me. And so I started having to explore. I wanted to explore this thing of like, okay, how do I teach my boys? Not practically how to hunt, but how do I teach my boys to respect this thing that they have? Because I know of, I come from a place where I didn't have it. And so I started looking in the outdoor space for these people that were preaching this message of, this is our heart. This is why we do it. This is why we respect it. This is why we're so grateful. And I couldn't find it. I could find bits and bobs of it, but I couldn't find someone that was just solely focused on it and also not focused on themselves. And so I decided to build it. And so we built Blood Origins to initially very self, sort of selfishly from my perspective, because I wanted to talk with people and film people. And I'm, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a cinematographer. I'm a scientist. But I have a vision for what I wanted to see and what I wanted it to look like. And I wanted to speak with people and capture almost the essence of why they do what they do, why they hunt. And that's what it started as. And over four years, it has morphed into this broader why, what, who of hunting and hunters tied to, as you say, the bullshit status quo that hunters are just killers. The bullshit status quo that that hunters do nothing for wildlife conservation. The bullshit status quo that that there nobody benefits from hunting. There no dollars hit the ground. It all gets put into corrupt officials' pockets. That's bullshit. And so I don't say it that way. I only say it because this is the style of this podcast. Sure, but. I purposely, we take a very even keeled rhetoric to this perception that people have today, Don, I'll give you an example today. I got pulled in and this is what happens regularly. Now I get tagged into a trophy hunting post, some guy in California, he's got a massive following 50,000 people follow him. He posted a picture of a woman with a dead leopard in her hands today. How atrocious, how da 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 da. And then there was all these people. Somebody tagged me in there and I was like, all right, let's go to work. And even killed rhetoric. This is what hunting is doing. Hunting is not poaching. Hunting and poaching. You saying hunting is poaching is the same as you saying shopping is shoplifting. It's the same thing. 
it's not the same thing. And it's just almost a, it's an education by um, a apologetic narrative, if I want to call it that, it's almost, you're not calling them anything, you're just saying, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. But what if I told you this? Or you're like, we need a ban hunting. I'm like, okay, honest question. What would you replace it with that would sustain and increase wildlife populations and help communities at the same time? And more often than not, you get crickets back. And so this guy, he, he went back and forth with me and I just slid into his DMs and I said, you want a podcast? And on the podcast, you ask me anything you want about hunting and I will answer it. And I can guarantee you by the end of that podcast, the seeds will have been sowed of his perception of what hunting and hunters are would have changed because he's never interacted with a hunter. He's never interacted and sat down and talked the truth from someone. All he's heard is this, this, this garbage coming through social media and the typical anti-hunting channels that he just opens his mouth and he absorbs. Sorry, I got on a bit of a soapbox. No, no, no that's I mean, awesome. You mentioned hunting versus poaching, and I have that on my on my notes here. And I think that's it. We're getting a little out of order, but that's okay. So, talk for for. There's a lot of people that listen to this that are not connected to the hunting world. There's a lot of them that are, Perfect. but a lot of them that aren't. And Perfect. I think I put that on there because explaining the difference between the two, and a lot of people don't know. And I think it's. It, the, you, the, per, the example that you used is perfect. You know, a lot of people that don't hunt, they see pictures of trophy game and these, these wild exotic animals. And I think, you know, same thing, they get a negative perception about it. So how do you approach somebody? Like, how do you explain the difference between the two, basically? Like, I mean, I, it's pretty obvious to me, I know. But for somebody that doesn't know, how do you explain that? That killing Bambi is, Realistically, not, is not a bad you know thing I mean? all the time. Yeah, so I will say this. Let's use exactly what the silver fox just said. Hunting is killing Bambi. No, hunters don't kill Bambi. Poachers kill Bambi. Correct. Why? Because Bambi is young. Bambi is immature. Bambi is, a, is, is, is the future of that wildlife population. Hunters do not, do not kill young animals. So the difference between hunting and poaching, as I've used the, as I've used the analogy, it's like comparing shopping and shoplifting. Okay, they're completely different things that have different uh, legal constructs or not even legal construct, constructs around them. Hunting is legal. Poaching is illegal. Okay, hunting operates under legal regulations by state governments, by federal governments, by regional authorities. There are laws that everyone has to abide by. Poachers... There is no law that they abide by. Hunting is, is selective, and in some cases, extremely selective in the animals that it takes. So what do I mean by that? When we go hunting, we typically are looking for the most mature male species of that wildlife that we are chasing. The reason why is that by taking that animal out of the population, you do not have any detrimental effects on the population to grow. And here's something that is, is the counterintuitive part of hunting is that people 
don't understand that when you take an individual out of the population, you actually have an opportunity to grow that population more, uh, reducing competition, uh, reducing unwanted death. Like for instance, in rhinos, old cantankerous rhinos tend to kill younger rhinos and females because they're frustrated. By taking that animal out of the population, you've actually saved six to eight rhinos oh. that would then increase the population later. So uh, bighorn sheep, when you, when you go hunting sheep, when I say extremely selective, you have to only kill a certain age class and that's where you have to be extremely selective. Poaching, indiscriminate, doesn't matter. Male, female, old, young, doesn't matter. We're taking it out. Hunting, yes, we kill, but when we kill, we do it in probably the most humane way that you could possibly do that exercise or that activity, okay? And when I say that, I say, look at just the amount of practice that goes into someone going out and harvesting or killing an animal by using a rifle or using a bow. They don't just go willy-nilly. They've put hours and money behind all the ammunition and whatnot because they want to do it as ethically and as humanely as possible. Um, they do it by stalking. They do it by getting as close as they possibly can. Um, they watch the animal, make sure it's not nervous, make sure it's not going to jump anything. Poachers typically run snares and they run trap lines where animals are snared and caught and could be there for days on end, not being checked on. So an excruciating death that these individuals uh, put these animals through. And they don't care. There's no, and, and that's the sort of one of the last things I'll say. There is an element of moral fiber tied between a hunter and a, a poacher. Hunters care about wildlife. It may not seem that way, but we do because we want more wildlife on the landscape. Hunters care, poachers don't because poachers are always about the bottom line. Quick question while you're talking about like the, the poaching side of things. Like I think a lot of people would think poaching is only, only happens in Af Africa or South Africa when they hear that word, mm -mm. but like help them under understand like that there's poaching happening on, you know, United States soil and the all continental 48 United States and everything as well. Yeah. There's, you know, spotlighting happens all over the United States. That's poaching. And a lot of the times the people here and the, the difference, I'll say this, the difference between Africa and America is this, there's going to be places in Africa where people are quote unquote poaching. And I say quote unquote, because they're feeding their families. Okay. They are, they are in need of protein and I can't fault someone for that. You know, that's where hunting benefits people because in that scenario, a hunting outfit would have provided that individual a job would have provided money, would have provided schooling, medical, whatnot. Are there cases of that in the United States? Probably, but very rare, right? Those guys that are spotlighting are spotlighting deer out of season, trying to get that big buck just off to the rack and the antlers and whatnot. Um, majority of the poachers are people that just shoot off the roads, right? They, and then they chop the head off of that animal and leave all of the meats, right? We've got wanton waste laws in America. A lot of people don't know that, that for the majority of all states, there are wanton waste laws that an, an, a hunter has to take all the meat with him. And so when you hear about this, this perception, again, challenging the status quo, 
that all you do is chop off the head and leave everything behind, that never happens. Very rarely. It never happens in the US. It never happens in Africa through the legal mechanism of hunting. It's only poachers that do that. Yeah. Or people that have absolutely no uh, no moral fabric to the care and the ethos of, of wildlife conservation. I agree. No. Um, I'll, I'll talk about I'll talk about why this hit home for me so well because I think it segues into something that you just mentioned on educating people with this stuff. And when I heard Jamie and I cannot remember the other guys, the name that was at Winter Strong, um, the Hunter Baker. Yeah, uh, the Hunter. Yeah, Baker was one. The Hunter Recruitment Project. Um, and they talked about their mission with that. And after hearing them and then hearing you talk about this, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, I just recently bought a farm about 60 acres north of here. I think we were having a conversation about this the other night. And I grew up in southern Illinois, which is like the whitetail capital of the world. And when I was there growing up, late teens, early 20s, I hunted for a little while. But it was never anything that was like a really big passion for me. I never really, I guess, respected it. I kind of took it for granted. And, you know, a lot of my buddies, country kids, they hunted and this, that, and the other thing. And it it was just never anything that kind of like sat in my gut as a big passion. And now moving out here and going through life the way that I did and going down the road that I did and kind of reconnecting with that really like hit home for me that night. Just sitting there listening to Jamie because I said, you know, I didn't just buy this farm just to go out and slaughter deer. You know what I mean? It was more of a inner thing for me where I could disconnect from the world. I could disconnect from my stress levels. I could go sit in a deer stand for four days and not kill a thing. I don't even have to take a gun. You know what I mean? It was more of an inner Zen thing for me. But I think the Hunter Recruitment Project and, and what you guys are educating people on here is is just, I don't know. I, I can't, I'm getting so tongue-tied because I can't really describe how I feel about it inside. But it, it felt really good to hear what you guys were talking about the other night. No, you're absolutely nailing it on the head, Don. A lot of people, you know, you bought that farm for so many other reasons than taking wildlife you know exactly that's going to be the cherry on the sunday that you've already eaten right the fact that you can uh, work the land and invest in the land and see it change and grow is uh is part of and as you said it's an escape it's a spiritual escape it's a physical escape there's so many elements to why we hunt which is why sorry i'll go into Stop arriving. Um, but <laughs> the it, there's so many reasons why we do it and we've forgotten about it. So that's why we, we do what we do every day. Um, yeah. I think the I think the why is what you know you're saying multiple times and here at Clean Eats, we talk about our why a lot and we meet a lot of franchisees and prospective franchisees that come in to us all the time and say you know, X, Y, and Z, this is what I'm thinking. But one thing that Don always wants to get out of them and pull out of them is like, well, why do you, why do you want to choose clean eats and not the, you know, muffler shop? Like what, what makes us different? Like, I want you to tell me. 
And I think that's the same thing that you're pulling out of people that have been lifelong hunters is tell me the real story. And I think like when we saw the video of Bert, like I've known Bert since like 2019, like that gave me like chills, like seeing that. And I'm about to have a, a baby boy. So seeing his kids run around the farm and then I'm thinking like, the fun that Don and I have already had at the farm and shoot, we've sat in the deer stand three times together this year. Didn't shoot a th- single thing, walked down, had a great time. I'm thinking, man, I would love my son to experience this with myself and at Don's farm and everything like that and grow up and understand why more so than, than anything else. So you both have just articulated something without you realizing it. And it's this. One of the biggest perceptions, again, we'll we'll keep using this, one of the biggest status quos out there is hunters are just killers. Okay? Yep. You both have just made a statement that is contrary to that. Okay? What do you think the percentage, and here's where things get really cool. You take the largest hunting population in the world, America. Okay, 11 million hunters. And you take the largest wildlife uh, resource in the world, whitetail deer, 30 million. If we were, if, if hunters were killers, surely the data would, would, would back up that statement. The deer what do you think the percentage, already. what do you think the percentage is of people that kill harvest take a deer every year that have hunting license that have a hunting license shoot is it 10 percent? or i can imagine it's pretty low yeah i wouldn't even know where to start it's between 42 and 48 percent so less than half less than half of all hunters kill one animal okay in canada 21 to 36% of all hunters kill one animal. You know how many in Canada kill a second animal? Even less. Well, of course it's less, Ben. Come on. 5%? That's that hotty toddy education there. <laughs> less than 1%. Jeez. Okay. So now... Are hunters killers? It's impossible. Right. The data has just proven you impossible. So we must be doing it for another reason. We must be doing it for something else. So talk about the Blood Origin Supporter Program and and the conservation for community projects. You know, I mean, how much education are these are these programs? for education to try to change this narrative? I mean, obviously they are, I know that, but um, talk about these two things for a minute. So the supporters program um, is very simple. We as at Blood Origins are very, we are, geez, how do I say this? We have built a brand that is probably, has the most integrity and the most authenticity in the outdoor slash hunting industry, if you want to call us in the industry, okay? And the reason is, is that I made a decision from the get-go that I wasn't going to take any money 
from anyone. It killed my bank account. It killed my savings account. Mm. But it meant that I didn't belong to anyone, Don. I didn't belong to any camo company or any bullet company or any gun company. And so I was, I represent, Blood Origins was built for everyone. It was built for all camo companies, all gun companies, all bullet companies. So I couldn't belong to anyone. And so our supporters program, now that we are a nonprofit, we decided we wanted to stay outside the box in terms of how we fundraise. And we wanted to make the level of entry extremely low. And we wanted to figure out a way that we could just say thank you to people for getting behind us. So for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, three bucks, four bucks, five bucks, you support us. You see what we do day in and day out. And you can just see what that's where your money's going is the content production of the message. Nobody's taking a salary out of this project. It's just all about pushing content. And because you gave three bucks, four bucks, five bucks a month, I want to thank you. And we have a smorgasbord of brands that want to thank you too. So every month you'll be eligible, as long as you're giving your $3, $4, $5 a month, you'll be eligible for amazing prizes, essentially. I saw Seasonings, some yeah, they're knives, good. some really cool knives. This February, for instance, there is a, there's a pig hunt that someone's going to win. And that pig hunt is for three people, five-star lodging for three days, hunt with Brandon Lilly, hunt with us, and somebody will win it for giving four bucks a month. Pretty sweet. And so that's what we're doing. And every month there'll be something else. We've got amazing once-in-a-lifetime hunts all over the world. And really, it's just a way for us to give thanks to the people that have gotten behind us. And it's a way for us to create this grassroots crowdfunding campaign to support us. Now, layer on top of that, the conservation projects that you just described. We have a unique model in that we implement direct conservation projects. There's no middleman. We find the project, we will fundraise for the project, we will execute the project, and then we will storytell the crap out of it. So for instance, last year, we funded five projects right out the gate. We funded a documentary in New Zealand where we flew, we hired helicopter, we flew four non-hunters into the backcountry for them to see tar for the first time because there was this massive turmoil issue around tar. Amazing documentary. It's called, um, gosh, it just left me. A Difficult Treasure. A Difficult Treasure is what we called it. Uh, we funded the building of a soccer field in the middle of rural Eastern Cape. We funded it in four and a half, in four weeks, and we built it in four weeks. And we, re we will release the film of that uh, here this April. We funded the, um, the sort of feeding of a primary school in the Eastern Cape of South Africa that was reliant on hunters coming in and hunting. And that game meat actually was processed and pushed into the schools. No hunters, no, no meat. So we had to try and step up and, and help them in that way. Uh, raise them outdoors, a hunting camp here in the United States it's just a little different than all the other hunting camps in that they force a mentor to go with the child so that when they come out of camp, 
the child and the mentor now can bow hunt and now they can shoot versus the kid coming back home and saying, <clears throat> I want to shoot a bow. And mom and dad are like, well, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. So that's what we do. We've, we've got uh, a couple of lined, we've got a couple more projects lined up in 2021. We typically want to do four to six projects a year. We've got a couple working behind the scenes right now, but we're going to come out with a project here in the next week or two, we believe that will just be um, a real slam dunk here in the, the United States. So that's what we do. It's just, we build content to showcase who we are. And then we use direct conservation projects to further show what hunters do for people in wildlife. Oh, that's great. I think, where would you send somebody for, I guess, further education? You know what I mean? Like, I'll use myself as a, as a good example, even though I kind of, I knew it when I started again, but a lot of people don't. And what I mean is, if you are disconnected from hunting or if you're new to hunting, you, you know, there's a ton of the hunter education courses out there, obviously, but past that. So you take the hunter um, education course, you are, you now you're now a licensed hunter, you have a gun, but a lot of people don't understand where to go from there. They don't know, you know, okay, I'm ready to go sit in a deer stand, but now what, you know what I mean? They shoot a deer, then what happens? You know, that kind of stuff it's still new to me. I'm still relearning that at 42 years old, even though I've done it a few times. You know what I mean? It's it's exciting for me, and I'm catching on to it quicker because I have a little bit of a foundation under me, but a lot of people don't have that foundation. So, I mean, where would you send somebody to do that? I think that's what that hunter recruitment project is great for. That's why I like it so much is because not only are they recruiting new people, but they also give them the tools that they need after they have been reintroduced or introduced for the first time. Gosh, man, you know, Google University is a wonderful thing. Right? <laughs> um, there's so much content on YouTube from everything you want. You could just type it in. Like, how do I flesh a skin? How do I clean a skull? How do I drag a deer out of the woods? I can guarantee you there's video content associated with it that you can watch and learn. It's, you know, I would say that would be somewhere you need to go. Number two, don't be afraid to ask your local game and fish, right? Your local game and fish, the state biologists, the game wardens, all these guys are there to, to help you interact with the resource. And so they want to help you. It's just, they've got a moniker, like the game warden, like nobody, you know, that's the game warden. You Everybody got a little scared this weekend when they saw him walking around. Yeah, and Terrence is just, you know, he wants to help you. He yeah. wants to. He was awesome. Yeah, he was good. He him. wants to give you knowledge. Uh, he wants to tell you, you know, where to go hunt. He'll tell you. You just have to ask. And I think social media today has allowed us to be a little bit more brazen in, in reaching out and cold calling people. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid cold calling people even through, you know, social media, you know, reaching out and just saying, hey, can you help me? Point me in the, in the right direction for this or that. I think be surprised. There's a lot of guys now that are actually teaching courses on this, which I think is cool too. A lot of te guys are teaching, you know, especially these contracted guys are teaching these marksmanship classes and these, you know, um, these gun courses, but they're also avid hunters. So what they'll do is they'll expand upon that and they'll, 
take them out and show them how to hunt and then show them how to process the meat and all that stuff. I think it's, I think it's cool. Um, Oh, definitely. Um, but you guys also have a podcast. If you want to talk about that for a minute, I've listened to a few, man. It's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's different as you would have expected, right? We, We don't like to sit inside the box in the typical interview box, but rather, you know, we are some, we want some hard hitting iron sharpening iron type conversations with people. I think that one of the things that is lacking in society today is the ability to have amicable discussions where you can push the envelope a little bit and the individual doesn't feel like you're attacking them. I'm sure that's going to happen to me. It hasn't happened yet. Um, like that guy, I'm going to podcast with that guy next Wednesday and who knows what he's going to ask me. Right. Um, but you just approach it very, you know, matter of factly and don't get upset. And if he gets upset, you can almost say, why are you getting so upset? You know, just have, have those amicable discussions. And so, yeah, our podcast is, it, it's, it, it's really a reflection of our Instagram feed in that we have some hard hitting conversations about legislation that's going down. We speak with non hunters. We speak with vegans. We speak with people that are high up in the outdoor industry um and then we have you know some of the episodes that we've done in the past so the full the full compliment so bird soren for instance bird soren as you heard was a seven minute piece but we spoke with bird for 30 minutes so people want to hear all 30 minutes of what bird had to say and so we'll we will release that as a podcast too nice you guys have a youtube channel obviously too that's where the movies are and if you haven't seen one of these movies, these movies are incredible. Like we, we've mentioned Bert's story a few times. Has that been released yet? Should I be talking? No, about May. It? It'll May. be probably May that we'll release it. I love it. I I mean, there's that, lots of lots that, of journeys and lots of stories. Yeah. That, there's some on there that I've that I've watched since Winterstrong, since we've gotten back, and they'll reach out and punch you in the mouth. For I mean, sure. They will. They will get a reaction out of you quickly. They're really good. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. So, Robbie, long-term goal with Blood Origins. I mean, I know I understand the mission and everything, but is there a long-term goal? Do you have a metric thing that you're trying to measure way out there years from now? Where, what do you wanna, where do you want to see Blood Origins go? Or is it a continuous thing that doesn't, doesn't have a metric to use? You know, I'd like Blood Origins to be, I think we're getting close to it. We're, you know, the tip of the spear. When it comes to pushing this new narrative or a, a different narrative around who we are as hunters, our global fingerprint is expanding all the time. And I think it's, I think in five years time, if someone has an issue with hunting, let's say this, if someone comes across something that's against hunting, the first thing that comes into their brain is I need to put this in front of blood origins. Nice. That's our goal. Um, it has really no metric tied to it. It's more of a recognition and it, I'm constantly blown away, right? The fact that both of you, I met you this weekend, didn't know you from a bar of soap and you had both heard of Blood Origins. Um, it, it's that, that kind of stuff that constantly humbles me. That, and, that's, and here's the key, is that I'll have a conversation like I had with a couple of people this weekend that they won't know who I am, very purposely so. But when I say I founded Blood Origins, they're like, oh, I've heard of Blood Origins. 
That's the difference, right? I, you don't need to know me. We, we share I'm that a, mentality. Yeah, you don't need to know me. I'm the guy who's pushing the stone. And I will push that stone every single day. Um, and if I need to be out there a little bit more, like we've started doing with our talking heads on a Sunday, uh, so that you get to know a face tied to the organization, okay, so be it. But this isn't about me. This is about you, Don, you, Ben, everyone listening to this podcast that are hunters that want to put a message out into the non-hunting majority. And I think that's the one point I don't think we've covered is that Blood Origins was not built for hunters. Though hunters look at it, hunters see it, hunters resonate with it, they take something away from it, they learn how to speak, they learn how to interact, they learn how to communicate about what hunting means to them. Blood Origins was built for the non-hunting majority. So the majority of maybe the people listening to this podcast, it was built for you so that you can go and, and you can go to a place that you can be, you can be certain that you're going to get objective truth. Um, we will let you know when it's personal truth. It'll never be political truth. It'll always either be for the majority objective truth and maybe a little bit of personal truth, given what we, me or others around us have experienced on the ground. That's where we want to go. Looking forward to it. It's like the third time he, I've been so locked in when he stopped. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just locked in, man. It's his voice. His voice uh, will do that to you. Well, you, you mentioned. Voice doesn't hurt. Yeah. You mentioned this weekend. Let's talk about that for a minute. So Ben and I met you this past weekend. And guys, Ben and I went to um, Winter Strong 3 this past weekend in South Carolina. It's. It's event an event that Sorenex puts on every year. They've been this is the third year they've done it now, and it's where they they kind of mix the outdoor world with the strength and conditioning world and the, and the world of strength. And I wasn't able to go last year. Ben was able to go. This was the first year that I was able to go. And once again, man, this is why I'm so deep rooted into that culture of Sorenex is because every time I go to one of those events. I come back and it takes me like three days to process everything that I learned, everything that I saw, everything that I took in, the people that I met, and this one was no different. Um, I still can't even voice, you know, everything that happened. I know that I've met amazing humans like Robbie and, and a few other ones, and some of the thing that I like the most about it is, I think I put this in a post on, on social media the other day, is when you go to an event like that, it's a level playing field in terms of human beings. You know what I mean? Like net worth isn't important. The size of your company is not important. None of that matters. You're a human being and, and it's like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I don't have a word for it, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Yep. And that, that was no different this weekend. And I, I had the privilege to stand next to, we were grateful enough to stand next to people that, I didn't even realize at the time who I was actually standing next to. You know what I mean? I was locked into conversations and I was having conversations with people and then I would walk away and somebody would go, do you know who that is? And I said, I, I don't know. And then they would tell me and I'm like, okay, you know, like it really hit. I think that was, and I have, you know, I had a question here, you know, what was your best takeaway? And I think that was mine. Yeah. The, the best takeaway that I took away from that is 
that is that group of people. And when you get people that are that like-minded that just want to help each other out and help educate people on outdoors period, I I don't even have a word to describe it really. (laughs) I'll tell you what, what flabbergasted me and it only hit home when I got home and I saw the picture. So when I was podcasting with Terrence, there was a cameraman that came around us and I asked him, I said, did you just show up for, are you a content producer? He says, no, I'm here for Kyle. He said, Kyle Carpenter. And I was like, okay, you know, the name at the time when he said it didn't like sink in. And I saw the guy, like I saw Kyle. I don't think I, I don't think I introduced myself to him because he came in late, I believe. Um, Anyway, that was Kyle Carpenter. Yep. Medal of Honor recipient Kyle Carpenter. He was one of the ones that I was just talking about. Yep. And I was like, I had no idea. Yep. Right. And it wasn't like this big fanfare. There wasn't this whole, it was just like, as you said, Don, it was just normal people, right? That were all on the same page. You know, it's interesting. I don't like to swear a lot. Um, I'll only swear when appropriate. But Casey from Tacticality said to me, he says, you know what the difference is about all these people that are here? Is that they are, and I, and I, and I, I need to make a shirt for it, is that they are, they have leveled up gaffes. And I call it gaffes. They have leveled up, they have leveled up their give a fucks. Like they wake up and they have taken their like, this is what I, this is what I care about to the next level. Every single person there has leveled up their give a fucks. It's a pretty How's good analogy. Cool? That's a good so way I to describe t- it. Yep. You know what I, mean? I want a t-shirt with like a level and it just says level, level up your gaff. And no, actually I want a level with a gaff, like a, a fishing gaff. And I want to say level up your gaff and nobody will know what the gaff means unless you've heard it. I think the, uh, like, physical fitness part is is huge for sore necks and everything like that but i think the thing that i like sitting back and watching like at the end of that weekend is bert doesn't do the you know kind of like competition that we did like as a competition like somebody's gonna win somebody's gonna lose like it's not about like the winning and losing i think the best part about like what that kind of caps it all off on at the end of the day is that like we're all in it together you know, it doesn't matter who's on your team because you're going to continue to learn more and more and more about who was on your team, but like that you competed and did did a task together with people that you had no idea who it was. Like we drafted teams like gym class, which is probably illegal to do anymore. Not allowed to pick teams like that in high school. But like after the fact, like we digest so much about our team that we never would have done just a few hours previous, like on that weekend, if we hadn't have done that physical activity together. And I mean, that night that like capped it off. I mean, like you said, we got 60 plus people in a tent in green and tan and black and everybody's the same playing field. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's getting to know each other, but nobody cares about like, what do you do for a living? Where are you from? Like anything like that. It's just good banter, good talk, good education. I love it. You don't see that very many places at all. No, not at all. Not anymore. Very rare. Robert, did you do the did you do the competition? Oh yeah, we came third, buddy. 
Did you? Whose team were you on? I was on the and we would and we had the Tradbow guy. I was oh, yeah. the Tradbow guy. How was that, by the way? I was we blown away it. that he can so, shoot that distance with that thing. Well, it was a different distance. It was half the distance okay. on a trad bow. There were green pegs in the ground. But he missed the bear, the opening shot three times, and I was like, Oh, this is not gonna be a this is gonna be a long part of it. <laughs> he hit every single target after that. And it was just like we just pounded it, man. It was just like That's I was awesome. just barking orders. All right, push ups are next, squats are next. You got the antelope on the left, you got the better buck on the right. It was it was excellent. I really, really loved it. Yeah, I love it. I thought that was a cool part of it that got interweaved. So, you know, what he's talking about is the, there was a 3D archery range there, and, you know, each team had a, you know, they had to hit this target. Well, he worked in, like, if you wounded the animal, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. meaning if you missed missed the missed the shot where it was supposed to go, the entire team had to run down, chase it, bring it back. I think it's there's a little bit more to that than just – a missed shot you know what i mean it's for like sure kind of teaching people that wounding an animal doesn't always kill it yeah you know what i mean i thought that was kind of cool oh man well robbie thank you man i can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit here and talk to us and share what you do share blood origins where else can people find you and and, and learn about this Oh, just simple blood origins on all your social media platforms. Type blood origins into Google. Uh, will come up probably the entire first page. Blood origins into YouTube. Pretty simple. The last thing I want to close this out with, and it was the last thing on my notes here, um, and I thought it was cool because I think that – I think you're going to get guys, and I met, I think you already do, if I remember right from our conversation – you get people that come to you and they want to be showcased by Blood Origins. And the right. way that you explained that to me the night that we were, the forge night, though that everybody was, uh, Josh did the, the forging thing. You know, I think I asked you that question. And the way that you explained it, I thought was so kick-ass, and I want you to do it again if you don't mind. So somebody goes on your YouTube page and they see this video, and then they come and they're like, well, Robbie, come do a story on me. I'm not going to do your story because you're being selfish and that you're thinking about yourself. And I'm not interested in telling a selfish story. If you came to me though, and you said, I want to introduce you to this individual that I think has the most amazing story. And this is why now you've got my attention because all of a sudden you've become selfless. And so we get lots, as you can imagine, lots of people coming to us saying, I've got a cool story. Come tell my story. We always say no. So, and the way that, you know, in the beginning, in the (laughs) beginning, in the beginning, we, you know, we were nobodies. We're still nobodies. Um, It was a matter of somebody saying yes to me. I would ask if you said, yes, can I tell you a story? And you said, yes, you're in kind of deal. And so Blood Origins, when you look at how we're structured now, we've got this big DNA, we've got this big family tree that comes out of our logo. And our family tree is supposed to represent tradition from my grandfather to my father, to me, to my boys, this passing on of this love for what we do. But what it's turned into is also the Blood Origins family. So I always have to start somewhere. Your tree has to start with someone. We call them originators. And then once we tell that story, so we've told Bird's story, once we release Bird's story, 
we will ask Bert. Bert, you tell me who we film next. So we're forcing a selfless act on him because he then finds people that we will be an amazing story. He's also vetting that individual because we need to we need to have integrity and authenticity built into the project. That's why we don't. Sure. When someone says, "Tell my story," you're not you don't have that. That's not part of what what you're reaching out to me about. And so that's how it grows. And so now we're on like the third or the fourth node of this tree already. I've always had this vision that I need to find an artist and. If there's someone listening to this that is an amazing artist, reach out to me. I want, I've, I've got this vision of this almost, it has to be a landscape uh, base portrait that I can manipulate, that I can change, that has 10 trees built in it, or 20 or 30 trees. And I can put the originators on the bottom of those trees and I can add trees to it. And I can start charting the nodes that come up these trees, and then I can build cross nodes between different trees and see how things are all connected. I think that'd be a super cool piece of, of art. Um, but yeah, that's what we are. And it, and it almost encapsulates the mission. The mission being showing the true heart of who we are, you know, day in and day out. I don't want to say anything else. That's awesome. That that was my biggest takeaway from my conversation that the three of us were having the other night. Uh, the other night was when you told me that when we asked, you know, how do you find the next person? How do you find the next person? How you showcased it? And the way you said that, man, was just like, I dig that. So that's real. You're not you're not selling out. You're not you know integrity. No, no. The way you and, said. <clears throat> and we could have sold out. I could I could go and ask someone, hey, pay me fifty thousand dollars and we'll tell your story. Sure. I know lots of those guys. Yep. But we didn't. Awesome. Robbie, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This was much, awesome. much appreciate you. Appreciate awesome. your time. All right, guys. Till next time.